happening. We will have it on the screen for you. Today is week two in Jesus, the resurrection and the life. Jesus, the resurrection and the life. And today we'll speak about and we will read about death. Yes, that is right, death. We'll read about death, but we'll also talk about life. But first, death. You see, mankind has, at the very least, always had a fascination with death. In fact, there's many books about it. There's many movies about it. There's many wars which involve it. One may suppose this fascination with death may be with the fact that it is a great enemy that we just cannot seem to beat. An enemy waiting to be beat, we try. We try and we try. An enemy which is taunting us throughout our lives, and we try, mankind tries to look for a way to beat it every single day. How to live longer, how to be healthier, how to lead better lives. Maybe it's with their weight, maybe it's with their appearance, maybe it's with more medicine, more vitamins, more doctor's visits. We're always trying to beat this thing called death. But regardless of how many medical breakthroughs there are, regardless of how much our life expectancy may fluctuate and go up and down through the ages, no matter how many vitamins you take, how many doctor's appointments you go to, how much medicine you take, and I've seen some of you at Bible studies open up your pill containers and some of you take a lot of vitamins or pills, doctor prescribed of course, death is still a very real reality of which we all must grasp onto. Yes, unless God calls us home first, unless he comes and calls us home, death will happen. Once this is realized, once this is grasped onto, there's one question we must ask ourselves. How do we prepare? How do we prepare for the inevitable death, the physical death, which will come? We prepare with Jesus. Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and we must abide in him, abide in his ways. And this morning, we look to Jesus bringing back Lazarus from the dead. This week, we see Jesus raising Lazarus, or as one commentator said, because he wasn't really raised from the ground, it's almost like he was resuscitated, he was revived, because Jesus spoke life into the lifeless Lazarus. So, with your Bibles open to John chapter 11, now please follow along as I read, starting at verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now, I remind you, last week we read of Jesus coming into town, being greeted by Mary, being greeted by Martha, and reading his interactions, mostly with Martha. Today we read a little bit about Mary and Martha, but we'll be focusing on the scene itself of Lazarus being raised. So let's read now. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him. Speaking of Lazarus, of course, they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Take away 
the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Now some suppose, some commentate on this scripture that it could be that maybe Martha was thinking that Jesus wanted to pay his respects to this Lazarus, his dead friend. And Martha is trying to remind him, this is not the time for this. He's already been dead four days. There's a stench. The stone is there for a reason. It's sealing him in. But whatever the case, Jesus says, roll away the stone. And we'll talk more about this in a moment, but let's read on. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, verse 40 of chapter 11 of John, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Now, one quick note to point out there. I want you to notice that Jesus says he spoke up to the Father, but it's not because the Father does not hear him. It's not because he needs the Father's attention brought upon him. The Father always hears him. The Father hears all of us. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He's omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. He's om- omnipotent. means all-powerful. God hears all, but Jesus makes it known. It's not for that purpose. It's so that the people here acknowledge and know what's happening and so that they would recognize he truly is the divine Son of God. Let me read that again in verse 41. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Now many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Again, Jesus is the man who raises the dead. Jesus is the man who speaks life into this lifeless Lazarus. He is the resurrection and the life. And we're going to talk about life, but first we must finish addressing and talking about death. Today, this morning, we're going to be talking about three topics. If you're taking notes, you can write down these points. One, we're talking about death. Two, we're talking about life. And three, we're talking about living True, righteous living. For there is a difference between just having life and truly living in the life of Christ that you have. But first, we talk about death. Again, death is a reality of which must be dealt with by all. And we'll get to death from Christ's point of view, death from God's point of view here in a few moments. But first, I want to talk about this death from mankind's point of view. You see, humankind has largely been on a quest to figure out how to live and how to live well, how to conquer this death. Some choose to ignore the reality of death. Others choose to prepare for it, but maybe they prepare in the wrong ways. You see, religions like Hinduism and other Eastern mystical religions, they treat death like 
a part of a normal sequence of repeating events. They believe that though one dies, they may be reincarnated into a new life. And that just goes on and on and on. And in some cases, they believe that they might not even be reincarnated into a human form. They might take on a creature form. Let you think about that for a moment, because some of that would not be good. None of it would be good. <laughs> some believe this new body may not even be human. What a great way to live, right? To think that you just have to relive over and over and over again in this life, which is always in a state of demise. Last week, I shared a little bit of a joke and a story from somebody in our congregation in our church who stated that from the time he was born the doctor looked at him and said i've got bad news well to the mom your baby is already in the act of dying someday he will die well that's true for all of us and yet these people they believe that they just continue to do that and do that and do that other religions believe death is simply a door to judgment and the soul of the soul where they live a certain standard, and based upon that standard, they earn a place in a certain degree, a certain place in heaven. The better you are, the better works you accomplish, the better person you are, the different level of heaven that you earn for eternity. And the same is true for your reward for not being good. You, learn, you earn a different place, a different level in their form of hell. But in Christianity, only Christianity, of the thousands of religions around the world, because there's a lot of them, only in Christianity is death the door to judgment of the soul, but a judgment which is not based upon our works, but the works of Christ. Our death is based upon grace and love and mercy. Our eternal place in death is based upon the grace of God. You see, through Jesus' redeeming work, through not mankind's work, but his, we can earn, through Christ, a place in God's heaven and presence forever. In Christianity, I want you to hear this. Death is still a great enemy, but death loses its sting. For we know that through death we are welcomed into our forever home with our heavenly Father and in his heaven and future new earth. Let me say that again. Death is still a great enemy, but it loses its sting. Or for the Christian, for the Christian, you can bring this up, Julia. All those who believe in Christ as their personal Lord and redeeming Savior, death is a conquered enemy. Let me say that again. Death is a conquered enemy. For Christ's followers, death has no sting. Death does not have the victory now in the present or in the future. For Christ's love reigns supreme forevermore. But let's move forward because this message isn't about heaven. It's not really about death. It's about life. But we must first deal with death because that's what's happening in the scripture before you. Let me read once more and we'll see how Jesus is greatly troubled. About death. In verse 33 to 39, it says this When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he, Jesus, was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? 
Then Jesus, again, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Now let's talk about this again. We know that physical death is a reality to the sinful fallen world. All must deal with this. But I also, I also want you to greatly see that Jesus does not care for this. In fact, it greatly troubles him. Notice verse 33, it says, Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews with her and he was greatly troubled. Some translations expound more upon this fact in saying that he groans in the spirit and was greatly troubled. Others state, other translations state that he was deeply moved. Jesus then asked, where have they laid Lazarus? And they take him to the tomb. And what we see next is Jesus weeps. Jesus is not happy by this death. Even though he knows it's a reality of this sinful state of mankind, the fallenness of mankind, it does not please him. He is greatly troubled. The point here again is this. Although death is the reality of the sinful world, it does not please Jesus. Jesus weeps. He's troubled greatly. He groans in the spirit. He is deeply moved. And in the Greek, this groaned in the spirit gives some great clarification. I shared this with a few of you this week. In the Greek, groan in the spirit literally means to snort like a horse, implying great anger and frustration. You see, so often we just read about Jesus wept. And we just think, oh, look how sad he was for Lazarus. Look how sad he was for Mary and Martha having go through this. And that's true. I'm sure he was greatly saddened. But he was also angered. He was frustrated. And why is this? I want to give you, I think it's about six reasons why I believe Jesus was greatly angered, frustrated, and sad. But all, if most, if not all, show him being angered and frustrated and sad, not for himself, but for the people in his presence. Number one is this. I'll try to work through this fast. Number one, Jesus was angry. He was troubled. He was frustrated by seeing the traumatic effects upon mankind by the great enemy of man, sin and death. One commentator, pastor, author, D.A. Carson stated this, Jesus is moved by the grief around him. He is a compassionate and loving Savior. Don't forget that. And is consequently angry with the sin, sickness, and death in this fallen world that wrecks so much havoc and generates so much sorrow. I think this is very true as you think about the characteristics of Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, Jesus, your Lord. He is moved. He is angered. He is frustrated with the consequences of sin on the fallen world. Yes, he was angry. He was troubled for this is not how they wanted us to live. He desires so much more for you. Desires so much more for all of us. Number two, moving on. Some also think... Again, very true, I believe this as well, that this anger is directed at the unbelief itself. Let me expound. The men and women before him were grieving like pagans, like unbelievers. They're grieving like if they didn't have Jesus in their midst, the true source of hope, the resurrection and the life. 
They grieved like there was no hope. And even if it wasn't for the fact, even if they didn't fully realize what Jesus was about to do, they knew that they could have hope beyond this world in the resurrection and the life. Number three, moving forward, Jesus was angry and troubled for he loves Lazarus greatly. And he would have to bring him back into the sinful fallen world for God's glory, for his purpose, for his will. I do not believe that God takes pleasure in seeing seeing sinful mankind, seeing the fallen world that we live in. And he has a brighter future reserved for all of us. Number four, yet another, the callousness of the Jews around him in this scene. He should have been comforting, but instead would condemn. And number five, yes, another. He may be troubled, angered, frustrated greatly by the ignorance of his followers. Jesus' very disciples were doubting what was about to happen. They didn't fully recognize or realize what was about to happen. And we read last week that they said, let us go with Christ to die with him. They didn't realize that this was not yet his time to die. They didn't realize the true identity, divine identity of Christ. But one final possible reason here, Christ, knowing what would come after this, could have angered, frustrated him, made him sad. Jesus weeps for he knows he is the resurrection and life. He's about to do what some would proclaim to be the greatest miracle of all, for all to see, for all to recognize, for all to fully understand he is truly the Son of God, divine. And yet some would believe others would go to the religious leaders, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and later crucify him. Whatever the reason is, I've got a couple points of application just based upon this. One is this. Jesus cares and he shows compassion for his people. Let me say that again. Jesus cares and shows compassion for his people. This is something for you to apply to your life specifically. And here in a moment, the next application will be something to apply to others around you. But in this, I want you to see that you are his people. Just as Jesus cared for Mary, for Martha greatly and didn't like to see them weeping, didn't like to see them mourning and saddened by this loss, didn't like seeing them mourning and saddened and greatly frustrated and angered by the loss of their brother due to a sinful fallen world, Jesus doesn't like to see you dealing with all these things either. Jesus cares for you. Jesus is angered and troubled by the effects of sin. And Jesus desires you to be in a better world a sin-free and perfect world. And that is why he went to the cross. To restore right relationship with God between you and God. To redeem you from the effects of sin so that you could have the hope of foreverness with him. Yes, Jesus is a compassionate savior who understands and loves us. He is fully God, but he is also fully human. Two natures, one person, And they never mix. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. But one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus understands and he cares for you. Some of you need to hear this next statement. One pastor, one commentator stated this. I've got it on the board for you to read. Though Christ is the infinite and living God... 
He is also a man with a human mind and emotions like our own. He understands and cares for you. And we need not fear him. Need not fear approaching him. But instead can pour out freely our hearts to him and know that he will sympathize with all who follow him. Abiding in him. In his word. And in his ways. You see, so many of us, we act like Christ doesn't care. We act, we act like God doesn't care, but we know God cares. That's why he sent Jesus, yet while we were still sinners, out of his great love for his children. God does care. You don't need to hide from him. You need to come before him, bow before him, submit to him, and plead with him, cry out to him. He's there to listen. He's there to listen. Next, notice that Jesus comforts Martha before proceeding with his plan to bring glory to God through his great sign or miracle, showing his divine identity. And in this comes our number two application with this. In Jesus weeping with those who weep, we see that we too should care and show compassion to others. Weep with those who weep. As Romans 12, 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You know, it's pretty easy to rejoice with those who rejoice, isn't it? In fact, everybody wants to be part of that. But so often when you see somebody weeping, you think, oh, that's awkward. I'm uncomfortable. I don't know what to do. And you turn a blind eye, you walk the other way. That is the place God wants you to be. Showing compassion, showing love, showing careness, weeping with those who weep. And maybe you don't know what to say. Maybe you don't know what to do. Maybe you don't know how to act. That's okay. Sometimes just having a friendly body in the presence of that one weeping is all they need. And you can sit there in silence and just pray. Just pray. Lift it up to God. Ask him to help you weep with them. Help you to know what to say or what to do or to plead with him to keep your mouth shut if that's the best thing to do. Because sometimes in our ignorance, we try and fill the void, me especially. I mean, obviously, I can stand up here and talk for 30 minutes. I want to fill the air. I don't want to be quiet. Sometimes we make it worse by talking when all they need is just somebody to be there and to pray. One commentator, Matt Carter, states regarding this, this section, expounds here, Jesus is going to do something that takes their suffering away. But before he fixes their problem, he joins their pain. He enters their grief before he exiles it. Men, I'm speaking to you here now. Men, we want to be fixers. I'm looking at you. You know who you are. A lot of times, the moment we hear somebody's pain, we just want to go in and say, well, this is a problem. This is what you got to do. Here's the three-step plan. Sometimes people aren't ready yet to hear how to fix it. As much as we want to, sometimes they just want somebody to cry with them and to show you really care. Because sometimes they won't even listen to your way of fixing if you haven't first showed that you truly care for their situation and want what is best for them. Jesus does this. He joins them in their pain, even though he's about to take it all away. But then he does just that. He does take it away. Christians must not be afraid to come into other people's sufferings. Be there with them. Be there for them. Even if it means just sitting there in silence and praying. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And now back to our main point number two. 
we have life. Jesus speaks life into the lifeless Lazarus. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And here in John 11, Jesus shows how not only is there a future resurrection, but he can raise the dead now. Now, I'm not saying he's going to do that today. It must be according to his will, his purpose, his glory. And in this case, this was a sign. It was a great sign. It was a miracle, yes, but it's called a sign miracle because it's for the purpose of showing people a sign that he is who he claims to be. He is the Son of God. He is part of the Trinity, divine in every way. Let me read once again, and we'll talk about this next section. Verse 38 says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on the account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. What I want to focus on first is this. Jesus asked Martha to do a very questionable, unspeakable, astonishing task. Take away the stone. Now, I'm not saying it's unspeakable or questionable or astonishing because the stone would be very heavy and maybe it took more than just her to move it away, but for the fact that we already know that he is clearly dead. Martha makes this very well known. He had been dead for four days, and she herself fears of the smell, the odor, the stench that would be released. And yet, she does follow instructions. First, a little reprimand. Sometimes we all need that. We need that little slap on our wrist. Martha's somewhat reprimand. Do you not believe? Did I not tell you, he says to her, that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. This is what's leading up to the life coming. And we need to see this because sometimes we doubt. Sometimes we question. Sometimes we struggle to do the unspeakable things that God's telling us to do. God tells her, move away the stone. But Lord, but, but, don't you remember? Lord, I said he's dead. He's been dead four days. Did I not tell you to believe? And that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. God says the same thing to us still today. You will see the great glory of God if you simply believe and do what I tell you to do. Jesus was not wanting her to explain the bodily decay, to explain the situation, to explain the scene. Jesus knows what's happening. Jesus just wanted her to demonstrate her faith in action and do what he says to do. We see the stone is rolled away. And Jesus, I quote, says, He cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. An interesting fact, in this time, how they would wrap the body it could have been up to 75 pounds, the commentators believe. 75 pounds of wrappings. 
His feet are bound. His hands are bound. I don't know what this looked like with him trying to walk. I don't know how fearful these people would have been. But he comes out. The same Jesus who was in the beginning at creation. The same creation which was spoken into existence. Speaks life into the lifeless man. And Jesus also speaks life into all of us. And he speaks instructions to us on how to righteously live. Is our belief strong enough? Our faith in Christ and his divinity strong enough to follow his instructions, even when they seem like questionable tasks, even when they seem unspeakable, something we would never ask of somebody. Is our faith strong enough? Is our belief strong enough to do what he says? Stop explaining the situation to him. He already knows. Just follow what he's telling you to do. Live in his ways. And that leads us to number three, living. We've talked about death from man's point of view, from Christ's point of view. We've talked about life. He brought Lazarus back to life. Now we talk about living. Jesus creates life, and in this life, there's a right way to live. How do we live? Scripture says here in verse 45, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some, there's always some, there's people on both sides. Some believe in him, some follow him, some proclaim of his greatness. But some, others, continue to reject. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Blasphemy, mockery, to not follow him, to not live in his ways, to not submit to him. But people still do that today. We do it today. For none of us are perfect. Every day we struggle. But praise be to God. He is a loving, gracious, merciful God. He's there to pick us back up. God gives grace to those who will humble themselves. But some are too proud to see their need for a Savior. Righteous living, true living, is by humbling yourselves in light of the great Savior that you have. Will you be the one who believes Will you be the one that continues to believe? Or will you be the one who goes away from this place not truly living in his righteousness in his ways? Remember, death is a real thing to be dealt with. But for all those who trust in Jesus as Lord, death has been conquered. And though one dies, they live on forever with our God in heaven. True and right living should involve living in his ways now in light of the hope you have then. Don't make that hope wait for then. Live in it now. We must meet, remain humble people of God. Be like Mary. Be like Martha. Be like Lazarus. And let me point out about that life-speaking Jesus. Jesus spoke life into a dead man. That shows that this Jesus we serve, this Jesus we love, he doesn't just have power over the physical life here but he also has power over the spiritual things, the dead and living. It's within these truths I've worked to close here with just an example from chapter 12 and a few applications. In chapter 12, we see Mary, Martha, and Lazarus coming to a table. They're 
eating with Jesus. Martha, she's off on the side. She's coming to the table. She's doing her normal thing. She's busying herself with serving the table. But Lazarus, he's there sitting with him. Are you sitting at the table with Jesus? You see, Jesus saves Lazarus, and he has such appreciation for his Savior, for his Lord, that he stays at the table with him. He partakes not from the things of this world, but from the things of Jesus and his presence. Are you with him? Are you eating at his table? Are you abiding in him? Are you abiding in his word? The devil is strong. Christ compares him to a strong man armed. God's word also compares him to a lion roaming the earth and seeking to devour. God, God's word tells us, we read of this just the other week, that he seeks to kill, to still kill and destroy. But thanks be to God, we have a Savior who's stronger than he. He has conquered sin and death for us. Rest in him. Rest in his gracious presence. Don't rest content with simply being externally religious, trying to earn your place. Rest in the fact that we never could be, but he is. Rest in his grace. Rest in his mercy. Rest in his love. Rest in the grace and power of Christ. Rest in the workings of Jesus. Rest in knowing that this same divine son of God who spoke life into Lazarus is there to help you with your life still today too. Now come forth out of the tomb. Just like Lazarus was called to come out, Jesus calls to us, come out. I think this is a very real problem with many Christians today and sometimes with us too. Don't deny it. You see, Jesus awakens us all from death but sometimes we struggle to get up and walk out of our tombs. It's okay to ask for help. In fact, Jesus tells those present to help unbind the bindings, take the wraps off. Or maybe we do come out of the tomb, we start living in the newness of life we have, but we never take the cloth off our eyes. So we're not seeing the newness of life. We're not seeing the truth. We're not seeing his love. We're not seeing things in the new light that we have. We have a newfound understanding of life and we should live in it. But we need to take the blinders off. See what God wants us to do. Walk out of your tomb. Remove the blinders. Remove the cloth. And remember that he that spoke life into Lazarus has also spoken life into you. He has a new right way to live. Stop going back to the ways of the world. Walk forward in his ways sit at his table partake from his table and the blessings that he gives you which will never end let's close in prayer and song thank you lord we thank you for your grace your mercy your love we thank we thank you for jesus truly is the resurrection and the life forevermore and it's through him that we have life it's through him that we can be revived resuscitated resurrected lord and we look forward to a new life forever in your presence, your heaven, your new earth with the new hope. But Lord, we also thank you for knowing that this hope we have, this great strength we have, it doesn't need to wait till later to begin. It starts today. May we be like Lazarus who walks or gets out of that tomb, however it was. May we come out of the tomb, take off the wrappings, the cloth, the blinders, and look to you. And it's in your holy and powerful name we pray. All God's people said, amen.